0: Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Women in the Word at Uni podcast. My name's Rachel, and I'm really excited to be opening the Bible with you today. We're going to be looking at the book of Mark. Well, I have a question for you. Do you have a favorite Arnott's biscuit? Perhaps it's something you've loved eating ever since you were a kid, and even one bite just takes you right back to childhood memories of road trips or your school lunchbox. Whenever I drive to uni, I drive right past the Arnott's Biscuit factory in Virginia and just recently I've started to notice the smell and I really wish I'd noticed it earlier. It's this amazing scent of freshly baked biscuity goodness wafting down the road and there's nothing quite like it. There's nothing quite the same as an Arnott's Biscuit, is there? Well, that's certainly what they want you to believe. After all, their tagline is that there is no substitute. Arnott's wants you to believe that there is nothing quite like their biscuits. One of my personal favourites is the scotch finger. Now can anyone else make a scotchy quite the same way? Or an iced vovo, or what about a good old Kingston, or a Tim Tam? Arnott's wants you to believe there is no substitute, but I could try to give you one, couldn't I? I mean plenty of companies make imitations and some of them might be passable. I could give you a milk cow root made by another company and you might enjoy it, but I'm going to suggest you will notice the difference and you perhaps will be a little disappointed. You would know that I was trying to substitute the real thing with something else, something perhaps a little below standard. Well, what if I tried to substitute your Arnott's biscuit for something totally different, something opposite? What if I were to give you some sauerkraut instead of your iced fovo? Would you take it? And if you did, how would you feel? Instead of that lovely, buttery, sugary, melt in your mouth, coconutty, jammy experience, you would have more of a sour taste and slimy texture. I don't think that substitute would really fly with you, would it? It would be a pretty mean trick to pull. Do we ever do something like this in day-to-day life with more important issues than just our tasty biscuits? Do we ever swap something really good for something that is less good? Do we ever swap something really good for something opposite, something really bad? Well, in the part of the Bible we're going to be reading today, we'll see Jesus and we'll see some people worship him. However, we'll see that by many people in today's passage, that worship is substituted with betrayal. It's a substitution of worship, which is something really good, with betrayal, which is something really bad. So as we look at the Bible today, a question for each of us will be this. Who will I identify with in this story? Will I be like those who worship Jesus? Or will I be like those who betray him? How will I respond to Jesus? With worship or with betrayal? And will I respond differently when I'm in a pressure cooker situation? It's one thing to respond positively when life is good, but will I respond differently when life becomes a bit more challenging? Well, let's get ourselves into the Bible and see what God has to say to us through it. Now, today we're going to be looking at the whole of Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 15, sorry, 1 to 52. However, because it's such a long passage, for now, I'm just going to start by reading a part of it. Now, I always encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you, whether that's an app on your phone or an actual print copy. Today, I'm going to really encourage you to be looking at your Bible if you can. We're covering a lot of territory, so it's helpful if you read along, and that way you know I'm not taking things out of context. So please read with me Mark 14 verses one to 11 and verses 27 to 31. I'm reading from the New International Version. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me she did what she could she poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial truly i tell you wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world what she has done will also be told in memory of her Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And now we'll jump down to verse 27. Here Jesus is speaking to his disciples, his followers. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. In our Bible studies at Evangelicals on campus, we've been working our way through the book of Mark. Over the last few weeks, we've found Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem. Their time there began in chapter 11 with great fanfare. Jesus was hailed as the Messiah, the one God had long ago promised to send to save the Jewish people. It's easy at that point to forget that Jesus had three times prior foretold that he would be killed. But as we kept working through Mark, it didn't take us long to be reminded of Jesus' predictions because the high point of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem is thereafter followed by a series of interactions with the Jewish religious authorities Since then, we've seen the heat increasing as the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law become progressively more dedicated to bringing Jesus down, just as he predicted that they would. Now, in chapter 14, we see that heat increasing all the more. In verses 1 to 2, we read this. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Now, first things first, we need some context. What's this festival to which they refer? Well, back in the very second book of the Bible in Exodus, how God rescued his people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt. Ever since then, they were to commemorate this event by celebrating the Passover, a special meal of lamb and bread made without yeast. In fact, they were not to eat yeast for an entire week. It was a really significant annual memorial on the Jewish calendar, and it's that time of year in the passage that we're looking at today. It's a time of year during which Jews from all over traveled to Jerusalem in order to celebrate Passover. So the city would have been teeming with people. And this actually poses a problem for the Jewish religious authorities. Now they're scheming to kill Jesus, but they're going to have to wait because they don't want to incite a riot by doing something unpopular when so many people are around. People who, unlike them, thought that Jesus was worth listening to. People perhaps like the woman who poured out an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus' head. It's an act of worship, an act of devotion, an act which Jesus describes as preparation for his burial in verse 8. This woman loves Jesus and goes to great and very visible lengths to show it. But it's an act that attracts opposition. Why this waste? some. Now, if you were part of our Bible study in week five, we looked at the fig tree and temple sandwich. We learned that sometimes Mark, who wrote down this gospel, used a storytelling technique in which he sandwiches one incident in between two similarly themed episodes or incidents in order to make a point or highlight something. Well, here in Mark 14, we have another sandwich. The chapter began with our first piece of bread which was opposition from the chief priests and teachers of the law. Then we come to our filling, which is the woman who worshiped Jesus, showing her love by anointing him with perfume. And now we come down to verses 10 to 11, and we have our second piece of bread. And we find that we have a sandwich of contrasts. We've got opposition, followed by worship, followed by more opposition. The thing is, the focus of the opposition isn't from the Jewish religious leaders this time, although they're certainly pivotal to the narrative. No, the opposition comes here from a surprising source. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of his closest followers, presents himself to the chief priest in order to betray Jesus. From Jesus' followers, we expect worship. We expect something more like what the woman gives. But no, Judas makes a substitute. Instead of the worship we might expect, Judas substitutes it for betrayal. Now of course the chief priests are delighted this is just what they need to help them get what they want, dealing with Jesus, the one who's become a nuisance, a threat to their influence on the Jewish people, with the help of an insider, one of Jesus' own closest friends. It's that subject you're doing well in and people are starting to notice and applaud you, but a classmate goes to your lecturer claiming you plagiarized. The thing is, the person making this claim is someone you thought was a friend someone you've hung out with been to the movies with gone shopping with in fact you've been friends since high school but she doesn't applaud you she turns on you friendship is substituted with betrayal well if we keep reading through this chapter in mark we see that time moves along it's the first day of the festival of unleavened bread and jesus and his disciples celebrate it together now we're going to skip over verses 12 to 16 a little but they give us details of the way in which preparations are made for this event so now let's read verses 17 to 26 when evening came jesus arrived with the 12 while they were reclining at the table eating he said truly i tell you one of you will betray me one who is eating with me they were saddened and one by one they said to him surely you don't mean me it is one of the 12 he replied One who dips bread into the bowl with me The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man It would be better for him if he had not been born While they were eating Jesus took bread And when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples Saying take it this is my body Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them And they all drank from it This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus and his disciples celebrate the Passover meal. Yet this year is not like every other year. This year, as they eat together, Jesus has two important things to tell his disciples. Firstly, he foretells the coming betrayal. Jesus is fully aware of betrayal from within. The second thing he teaches is a new meaning of the Passover celebration. In the first Passover, when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt, the Jewish people were to kill a lamb, one that had no defects, then smear the blood on the door frames of their houses. That night, the angel of death was going to journey from house to house in Egypt, killing the firstborn sons in judgment for the Egyptians and the way they had treated the Israelites. However, the angel would pass over the houses with the blood of the lambs smeared on their door frames. The lambs died to spare the Israelite people from death. The lambs shed their blood to act as substitutes for the people. Now Jesus, the spotless, perfect Son of God, is preparing to shed his own blood. He is going to die as a substitute for his people. So Jesus teaches that now the bread of the meal broken to share it among those present is a reminder of his own body broken at his death and the wine drunk alongside it symbolizes his blood he describes it as my blood of the covenant following that first Passover God's people escaped from Egypt and after this God established a covenant with the Israelites a contract that said that they were his special people but which stipulated the way they were to live in response In Exodus 24, we read that the covenant was sealed with blood sprinkled on the people. Now Jesus is instituting a new covenant with his people. Just like before, it will be sealed with blood. However, unlike before, it won't be sealed with the blood of bulls, it is sealed with the blood of Jesus himself. How do we respond when someone gives up their life for another? Think about Anzac Day, for example. It is the one day on the calendar in which most shops, cafes and restaurants actually close. Why is this? Because we want to honour and show respect to the memory of those who've given their lives for the sake of others. Given their lives so we could be free. So what sort of response is due to Jesus? Jesus who's just told his followers again that he's going to give up his life for their sake. Honour, respect, worship. But it's not to be that way, not just yet. As he has said, he will be betrayed by one of his own friends. And ironically, it's this betrayal that will take him to that point of sacrificial bloodshedding, life-giving. We now come to the second part of Mark that we read at the start, verses 27 to 31. And here the substitution of worship for betrayal escalates. Now it's not just one disciple betraying Jesus. All of them will desert him. You will all follow away, Jesus says, Remember back in verse 19 after Jesus tells the disciples that one of them will betray him. One by one they each say, surely you don't mean me. Well, one will betray him and then all will desert him despite their protestations. Protestations like Peter's, even if all fall away, I will not. And yet he will. Verses 30 to 31. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times." But Peter insists emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Jesus will be betrayed and deserted by all of his closest friends. Now it's not just the one friend telling your your lecturer that you have plagiarized. It's all your other friends pretending they don't even know you, running the other way. There's no one to vouch for your character, no one to back you up. But even so, Jesus won't desert them. Verses 27 to 28 You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. They will desert and betray him. But even so, Jesus will go ahead of them into Galilee, leading them as the loving shepherd, caring for his sheep that Jesus is. From here on, we find Jesus and his disciples in Gethsemane. Jesus prays. He knows what is to come. He tells Peter, James, and John to keep watch while he prays. And what does he pray? He prays in verse 36. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus knows how horrible what is ahead will be. How agonizing, how terrible. So terrible that he asks God, his Father, to spare him from it. But even so, he will face it if that's what God wants. For all their promises of allegiance, the disciples will be weak, fearful, turning away. Jesus, in contrast, is courageous, obedient, and steadfast. And then it is time. Verses 41b to 42. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus will be betrayed to die at the hand of sinners but as we will see in coming weeks of Bible study in Mark he dies at the hand of sinners because of the acts of sinners for the sin of sinners so that these very same sinners might have the possibility of being forgiven for their sins let's read the way this passage ends verses 43 to 52 just as he was speaking Judas one of the twelve appeared with him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests the teachers of the law and the elders now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them the one i kiss is the man arrest him and lead him away under guard going at once to jesus judas said rabbi and kissed him the men seized jesus and arrested him then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear am i leading a rebellion said jesus that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man, wearing nothing but a linen garment, was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Just as Jesus foretold, he is betrayed by one of his own, one who uses the outward sign of affection, a kiss, to put his inward treachery to work. And just as Jesus foretold in verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled. It is the great substitution of betrayal for worship. Jesus, worthy of worship, is instead betrayed and deserted by his closest friends, no less. These friends who worship Jesus when they're not under pressure. These friends who are adamant that they will stick by him when things get tough. Yet these friends who desert him when it all becomes too hard. These are the ones who are adamant that they would stick with Jesus, but theory and practice, well, they can be two very different things, can't they? And perhaps you've experienced this yourself. In theory, we live in a nation which allows complete freedom of religion and freedom of belief, but in practice, we have tutors who stand up and condemn Christianity. How do you respond? This is very intimidating. Do you risk being marked down for speaking up in opposition to the person who holds power over your grade? In theory, we're free to hold a Christian view on sexuality. In practice, simply stating you're a Christian can bring up all sorts of assumptions by others, which in turn might put a little bit of coldness in your relationship. Have you kept silent for fear of how people might treat you if they know that you're a Christian? Now this might not quite equate to out and out betrayal but it's somewhere along the lines of desertion Maybe we're not denying we follow Jesus but by failing to say that we do perhaps we're leaving him out on his own in front of those who would arrest him Have you ever worshipped Jesus in theory and betrayed or deserted him in practice? And it can feel very much like these are only there are only these two ways forward on these sort of issues, can't it? Either I stand up for Jesus and put people offside, or I keep my mouth shut about Jesus to keep my friends. Well, I'd like to propose a third way, because it's a way that the Bible itself teaches. 1 Peter 2.12 says this, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And then in 1 Peter 3 verses 15 to 18, we read this, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit live in such a way that you are obviously christian and if you face some opposition some heat estrangement from friends downgrading by a tutor know that you are following the footsteps of jesus himself who suffered so that we might be forgiven speak up be ready to talk about your faith but do it with gentleness and respect point people to jesus in the way you act and the way you speak worship him by pointing to him but we don't point to him if people don't know we follow him. Otherwise, you could just be that really nice person who's just as nice as any other nice person who doesn't follow Jesus. If at this point you're thinking about times you haven't spoken up for Jesus, times you've kept silent and you're feeling a bit guilty about it, let me share some hope with you. You see Jesus who was betrayed by sinners, died at the hand of sinners. But the reason he did it was to pay the death penalty that was due for our sins. Jesus died because of sinners, but for sinners. And that includes you and me. The sins he died for include our past betrayals and desertions. And because Jesus died, those sins can be forgiven. So if you're sitting here thinking of the times when you haven't spoken up about what you believe, know that because Jesus died, you can come to him for forgiveness. And we can also pray to him to ask him to help us not to desert or betray him in the future. In verse 38, Jesus says to his disciples, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Pray for his guarding so that when you are under pressure, you will not fall into the temptation to desert or betray him. Pray for strength to remain steadfast, to love him enough, to worship him no matter what, to show his worth to those who don't see it. And pray that through your consistent worship of him, others will want to worship him too. Pray that you and they will worship God in the way that he is worthy of, never substituting it for anything else, least of all betrayal or desertion. Let's pray now. Lord God, we thank you that you are worthy of all our praise. Thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that even when he died, it was part of your plan to rescue us from our sins. Thank you for Jesus who died at the hands of sinners because of sinners, but for sinners like me so that you can forgive us for our sins. Amen. Well, if you have any questions about today's podcast or would like to talk to someone about the things you've heard, please don't hesitate to contact me. You can email me at r a k o t t e r e r at gmail.com.